A big debate tonight over that. Train horns blaring through all hours of the day and night in Tampa. Our Edward Lawrence joins us live from downtown Tampa to explain what's happening tomorrow that could potentially lead to a new quiet zone. Edward? Well, right now it's fairly quiet here. You can hear yourself think, but take a look at this. The railroad tracks here run down the middle of the street here in this intersection. As people have started move downtown, the tracks run within feet of where people are living. Now, these tracks come through Ybor City on their way to the port of Tampa. Now, tomorrow, the city council is expected to contract with an engineering firm to figure out the best way to hush the train noise. It's a federal regulation that trains sound their horns at unrestricted intersections in this stretch from Ybor City to the port of Tampa but that could mean leaning on the horn the entire time. Residents say trains come through and... Uh, all right, folks, here's pizza day for Johnny and Picker. We're going to go get some hungry Howie's pizza ski. Oh, yeah, what happened to the sign ski? Did they take her down? Only well, took the hungry Howie's sign down, folks. Holy shit, she's closed right down. Thank you for 20 years. They're closed now. You got to be freaking kidding me. Holy shit, ski hungry always is closed, guys. It's unbelievable. Unfreaking believe I'm heartbroken. Son of a bitch. We're pissed now, folks. 20 years in business and hungry howies is gone. We're about to surprise someone with free hungry howies pizza for a year. Pizza made with fresh dough, only the Hungry Howie's way. The excitement is mounting thinking of all that free, delicious pizza with eight mouth watering, flavorful crust that you can only get at Hungry Howie's. You just won free pizza for a year! Wow! 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 I love Hungry Howie's! Well, we didn't expect that, but hey, it's Hungry Howie's, screamingly delicious pizza. Boo. Boo. I'm sorry. Did I scare you? Let's get a few things straight right off the bat. The writer Brett Easton Ellis has never heard of Autumn. The artist Dustin Yellen was in the band Rancid. And at some point between releasing 13 songs and Repeater, Fugazi definitely covered Red Red Wine Live. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, UAO Leak of Screedlers. It has finally stopped being a million degrees outside in New York and I'm learning to calm the fuck down. This is Stefan Lee, the studio manager. We've got a wonderful episode for you this week. And we couldn't have done it without generous financial support from the city of Tampa, from the vehicles called Trains, or from the pizza called Hungry Howie's. What a menagerie of dandy bonbons. Am I right? All red wine is Fugazi juice. I'd like to turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Let's get this show on the road. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 23 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. On this week's episode, I have a very special guest. I know I say that all the time, but I wouldn't invite people if they weren't very special and if they weren't my guests. 
I've got artist, writer, curator, and recently gallerist Aileen Isagon Skyers. Now, Aileen went to PNCA, but she and I didn't actually meet in Portland. I had already moved. Uh, we became introduced because Dan Glendenning, a uh, recent guest on the pod, and artist Michael Welsh and I do this thing called GWC Investigators. We do paranormal research as artists, and uh, in collaboration with Claire Maroka from Sorry Archive, we were putting out this uh, twice-annual science fiction collection called New World Unlimited. Uh, during the putting together of issue three, Daniel suggested Aileen uh, as one of the contributors, and what she created for it was formally amazing uh, and engagingly cryptic. It was this like Byzantine textographic map of user commands and these pulpy philosophical prompts towards uh, a quote symbolic event. And then, uh, you know, during the next issue for the release of number four, we did a show at Shoot the Lobster in the Lower East Side where we curated works from people who contributed to the publication over the years. And uh, Aileen came and performed at the opening event uh, alongside comedian Patty Harrison, uh, artist Rebecca Ruth Peel, and uh, artist and writer Mary Cassette. Aileen primarily works in video and sculpture, and the bulk of that work, to me at least, seems concerned with identifying these unseen ticks in communicative technology. And there's a big focus on screens, both in the literal sense and the metaphorical sense. Now, earlier I mentioned that Aileen is recently a gallerist. Uh, that is because she and artisan curator K.J. Freeman co-founded a gallery recently called Housing in Bed-Stuy. It's in the former space of American Medium, which has since relocated to Chelsea. Uh, after a pop-up show in the space this summer, which was called DOE, with artists Kevin Evans and Cheyenne Julian, uh, Housing officially launched last month, and they did a group exhibition called Untitled Passage, featuring friend of the podcast Pastiche Lumumba, plus artists Gincio Apara, Callie Flowers, Brandon Drew Holmes, and Kyrie Johnson Ricks. They've got a packed schedule coming up, including a solo show from Rafia Santana, uh, an upcoming group exhibition called Black Dog uh, that actually opens on Saturday the 28th, and much, much more. So check out the website for all the information uh, at housing-art.info. Okay, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Aileen isagon Skyers. Aileen, welcome to Human the Abject. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. You've been traveling a bit lately, is that correct? Yes, I usually travel maybe 8 to 12 times a year. Oh, really? Most recently... I was in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. You're familiar? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and before that, I was in New Orleans. I think before that, I was in Hawaii for that residency with Summer Forum. Oh, cool. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, with uh, Sarah mm-hmm. and those folks. How was yeah. that? Yeah, it was really dreamy. Yeah. What I mean, especially now, having had some distance from it, it feels like a very strange distant dream yeah was it over the summer yeah it was in july will you for people who aren't familiar with summer forum just kind of really quick elevator like what's it about what's this residency program so it's a residency that is more about communion than production i would say and it changes locations 
each time, and it is, I want to say biannual, but mm-hmm. not necessarily. I think they did it, uh, there was a three-year gap this time. Okay. Mm-hmm. They did one in, uh, they did one in Joshua Tree mm-hmm. somewhat recently too, right? Mm-hmm. Because I saw Sarah Knox Hunter's opera at Abrams Art Center. That was oh. sort of about that experience when she was like retracing her family roots and things. And that Very cool. was also, I think, what led her to Hawaii and yeah. why it was situated there this time. Yeah. That's awesome. How many people were on that residency? I would say maybe 20 or so. Wow. It was a pretty big crew this time. <laughs> did you all stay in a hotel or rent? How, um, how did that work? So we stayed at the YWCA cabins, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, in Oahu. Nice. Yeah, it was really special. That's very cool. I've never been to Hawaii. Not yet. Not yet. That's true. <laughs> Everybody, I keep eyeing that, and I bet a million people apply to it. Have you seen that? There's that National uh, Parks residency that's in one of the parks in Hawaii. Yes. And you live in, like, a cabin in the middle of the park completely, like, by yourself <laughs> in this gorgeous... Isolated, yes. Seems pretty... That sounds very dreamy, too. Um, that's cool. What were you doing in New Orleans? Um, New Orleans, I went for a work trip, but I also made sure to go on a swamp tour while I was there and, you know, get my fortune told and things like that. Yeah. Did you go on a fan boat? Um, No, but we went (laughs) on a very small boat and the tour guide, (laughs) the tour guide was very like classic Southern Louisiana dude who was like, (laughs) he told us about his pet raccoon that he had in college named Cooter and... Yeah, it was it was pretty great. It sounds like you got the whole experience. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so, speaking of traveling, you you wrote a piece a while ago that you had written while on a plane. And, yeah, and I watched a video that Work Sound put out, I think, which was cool. That, mm-hmm. And you were talking a little bit about that experience of traveling and that displacement, and it prompted you to write something. And what was what was that written piece about? Um, yeah, I think. I would agree it was heavily about the displacement that occurs when you travel, and I think that's part of what prompts me to enjoy traveling so much. It's more about that um, sense of movement and removal from all of the things that are sort of familiar. Sure, yeah. Um, Yeah, I I wrote that a while back, but I would say that I still travel for for many of the same reasons. Um, I really like that sense of um, alienation, um, and I think I read a, a horoscope of mine not that long ago that sort of fit the bill uh-huh. that said that I was prone to or attracted to situations that placed me in uh, foreign territories with like unknown people and hmm. situations. Interesting. Do you travel solo or predominantly, or do you go? Um, I guess yeah, predominantly solo. Solo. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so you said that you had visited Portland recently, and you you did an MA in Portland, right? In the, right. At PNCA. Mm-hmm. And we just missed each other. I feel like. When did you move to Portland? Uh, I moved to Portland in fall of 2014 2014 okay yeah. so we're about a year apart right and, and that was uh that was a pnca mm-hmm. and it's uh the critical theory and creative research is that the name of the program right yes yeah what were you what was your research so i pretty much was at the time 
focused on internet art, and I knew that I wanted to delve a little bit more deeply into that interest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really have like a fully formulated question at the time. Um, and along with the co-chairs Anne Marie and Barry, I sort of like developed a further research topic, um, which surrounded interface histories um, and centered internet art as sort of a reaction to the slow disappearance of um, technology and not disappearance in a literal sense by any means, but just sort of like the progression of technology getting thinner and Mm -hmm. more transparent. Um, And Google Glass was like a really big topic of interest (laughs) at the time. What happened to Google Glass? I don't know. I kind of won a pair. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like people, there were all the stories about people getting, getting punched while they were wearing it and things. And they were very glass holes. Glass holes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. It was all the people in San Francisco and they're like, I'm being oppressed. (laughs) I'm I'm wearing this device that can record people. Yeah. Um, so when you're saying the disappearance of technology, do you mean uh, the kind of uh, how everything is so micro? Like there's everything is seamless. You can't mm. see the the different – like there's no distance between this app and that app. You're not – Yes. Physically. There are no like jumps really between um, the separate applications essentially. And um, I would go so far as to say like um, just like overlays and things – transparencies um, in mm. a lot of utopic like sci-fi visions of the future the screens are often just like overlaid against our reality or something right. like this or in- movable instead of sitting on like a glass pane or something else there's right something right like, like like the display is just totally removed uh-huh. and the screenic experience is just overlaid on our everyday experience so you and um, I've heard you talk before about researching, and you just referenced it. This this history of interfaces, and when does when does your interest in the interface kind of start, and what what devices are people using as as you're thinking about this changing radically? It's really interesting, actually. I started with I would say I started studying. Um, like video art and I think that some of these questions predominantly started to come up for me because I was curious about why it is always a square Mm -hmm. Um, and like getting into video installation and things like this because it could expand beyond the square. What do you mean the square? Like the the physical shape of the video? Yeah, of the television screen. Um, And then that slowly progressed into questions about the computer screen and Windows 95 and like why are these icons sort of having this like semblance to real folders, like Manila folders, uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> um, yeah. things like that? Um, which all it turned out to be like very intentional. Once I started to do a little bit more research, um, like the white page um, for a document, why white? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why is uh, I mean I don't know if you know the answer to this, but why is it called a recycle bin on a Mac? I don't know. Is it called a trash on a PC? It was, yeah. It was, okay. Yeah, it says the recycle bin, but maybe it's because it doesn't throw it away right away. I have to go manually toss it afterwards. You have to do that in the trash can, too. Really? Okay, so, and it doesn't recycle anything. No. I'm not getting a second use. It would be cool if it, like, doubled your space every time. (laughs) That's recycling. Oh, yeah, it's like a green (laughs) green kind of thing. Um, 
So what else about interfaces? I mean, the, obviously, we're talking about like iPhones and devices like that and mm -hmm. our smartphones and things. Where do you see, uh, even if you're just sort of projecting here, where do you think that this is going? Like, I mean, the difference between a phone five years ago and now is profound. Like right. The, how, how strange it is. And I'm just curious if you threw this... Are, Obviously, this is exponentially getting tighter in how right. stuff turns around. And yes. Do you have any sort of prediction of what what will I be holding in my hand, if anything, in like in five like years? Ten. Ten. Wow, that's a big question. I would say that we. <laughs> I was just talking to my friend about this yesterday, but um, so when the iPhone came out, that required you to, or it doesn't require, but it has an option for you to use your thumbprint uh -huh. to unlock the phone. Sure. That was almost like a test of like how much are people willing to give away? Yeah, yeah, I won't do it. Identity-wise, personally. Yeah, it's literally you're giving your <laughs> fingerprint. Your yeah, right? and it's connected to you know your social security, your yeah. wallet, your cards, information, like everything. Do you use it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm terrified. So, so that's sort of like a test, and then like the iPhone X that's coming out or is out now. I'm not really. Oh, right. Completely yeah. up to yeah, date. Yeah. Uh, has like a facial recognition <sighs> technology yeah. to unlock it. That's and I like think, yeah, I guess to be a little bit like predictive, um, each step of the way, it's sort of like a testing ground for about how much privacy are we willing to relinquish in yeah. order to have our devices be like. That much faster or something. <laughs> faster, <laughs> but also like more personally connected okay, you know yeah, yeah. like it's more my device because it knows me mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> it recognizes me and that should be really alarming I, I feel like uh hurdles have been put in place to try to force people to use the thumbprint thing like mm -hmm. at a certain point i had to start pressing the home button two times to get my uh key Password. code thing to appear <laughs> And then I've noticed, I mean, I have a, sh I don't even know, I have like a five or something and it's all cracked and broken. But <laughs> <laughs> when I saw somebody with a newer phone, their passcode was six numbers long. Yeah. And I was like, that's incredibly annoying. Is there an option to just do four? Or did they make it Not six just to be like, no, you're going to, you will use your thumb. Because nobody wants to punch We want to know who you are. Especially when the phone is so big, I can barely get my fat thumb to do the four. Like, I can't, <laughs> I don't have the manual dexterity to actually punch the four in correctly the first time. Right. So I would usually say, I guess in like 10 years, I could envision a world where, you know, a lot of our information is like made readily available um, in just in the sense that like, say I come up to you and you have some sort of setting on your phone that allows or whatever device it is at the time that allows me to see all of this information mm -hmm. about you on site that you would have on a profile or something. Sure. So it would say like Sean, male, like H, from. Like a more internet of things of Google Drive or something. Exactly. Where we can like make like Google certain Plus. things public. <laughs> Google <laughs> Do you remember, uh, what was it? Remember there was a thing that people were talking about called Bump? No. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to be able to bump two smartphones. Oh, and right, like, right. And, and you could get your, your card. Con contact info, yeah. Right. Yeah, you're basically like giving them a business card, but I never saw that actually. I no. never saw anybody do that. Yeah, so this is like a version of that, but I could just see it upon passing by you. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd also had this idea about, um, I guess, like VR or AR, where all of your friends could potentially come to your house as holograms. Uh, <laughs> And they recommend you products that are actually in their 
buying history. Sure, yeah, yeah. So these are like things that Sean would like, and he's telling me, "Oh, dude, you should totally check this out." <laughs> <Could be. laughs> and he's like, "Just, it's just a very convincing hologram of you instead." Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, next level Google Hangout where it's a. 3D projection of the per- like right physically and then you realize like oh this isn't really Sean <laughs> did you see the okay so the the facial recognition thing to unlock a phone one of the things that I saw people kind of like immediately responding to was like okay so that means that if the police arrest you they can just hold your phone up in front of your face and it'll unlock your phone without a warrant oh which I mean, I, I'm not a technology expert. I don't know if that's the case, but that was so many people's first reaction was like, "That's insane! Anyone could." It's un- very possible. You because they can already put your thumb. I mean, you know, they're not legally allowed to do that, but they one could. could put your thumb on a phone and unlock it uh, very easily. You can't forget your passcode anymore mm-hmm. if they can put the phone in front of your face. Yeah. And your face unlocks it unless maybe you could put a setting on it where if you're mad. Then it won't unlock. (laughs) You stick your tongue out. (laughs) Um, So okay, so all of all of these sort of seamless things and everything becoming kind of. um, uh, I'm trying to remember what the hell the like Baudrillard was talking about everything becoming micro something, and I'll probably remember when we're done or something. But he was talking (laughs) about the everything was becoming like nano, Mm -hmm. like, like really, really, really small, and so these distances between different parts of the device a lot of your research seems to be about finding those spots and trying to find where the ticks and the hiccups are right and, right and i've heard you talk too about uh why texture is really important in that and mm-hmm. can you sort of explain to me what that means like texture in what sense i would say textures as in like like just material every day you know textures we interact with right i think that it's really important these days to just touch things. I don't feel that people interact with, like, dirt anymore, uh-huh. unless they're, you know, a landscape architect yeah, yeah. or something. But, um, yeah, we interact a lot with, like, these certain materials that are, like, liquid crystal displays mm-hmm. and plastics and glass um, uh, and not enough, maybe, with other kinds of textures in the world. Yeah. There was, I was reading somebody sort of talking about the new, sorry to keep harping on Apple things, but it's kind of, I mean, that's the stuff, that's like the sexy thing that they constantly (laughs) are putting out, but uh, they'd created, you know, the newest in the effort to make everything thinner and lighter and all these things at the keyboard um, on like the most recent MacBook Pro people, it didn't even, it felt like you were hitting a computer screen. Mm -hmm. Like the key profile was so low that there was no actual like, Tactility. That feeling of typing <laughs> had gone away, and I think people were kind of like, because have you ever typed on, like, tried to set an iPad up and make it, like, it's type not it fun. like a QWERTY keyboard? Right. Like, there's no, uh, I mean, I know that we're very good at remembering the layout of something, and you can learn it pretty quickly to move your thumbs around to touch type, sort of, but it's it's a pretty frustrating experience not to have that texture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, the rewarding feeling of, like, when you hit a period and just slamming the space bar with your <laughs> thumb when you're done, you know? And, like, <laughs> bouncing and you're ready to get to the next thing or something like mm-hmm. that or turning a page yeah yeah, yeah there's, something <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's something very nice about that yeah i've never read an ebook no not in full i wouldn't say uh, i've read many things in pdf Same. you know but i've never uh used a used an e-reader and actually read a book not in full <laughs> <laughs> so the these interfaces and things like that another thing that i feel like uh, you've tried to kind of bring to light is the 
I guess, sort of the origin of where these devices come from or where the things that are involved in it are sort of sourced and making people kind of conscious of that. And I'm curious, I wanted to ask about, do you think that people, uh, do you think that at large people are not aware of where the things come from? Or do you think it's also that people know and it's just too, it's too overwhelming to be thinking about that all the time? I would say definitely the latter. Yeah. It's the same as, you know, anything else that we um, use that has been produced. It's no different. You know, technology, mm-hmm. um, clothing, shoes. Food. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Hmm. So what are the... How do you identify the parts in technology where there might still be little hiccups or things that maybe are more abstractly textural between things. Between parts. Yeah. Um, I, it's a little bit more difficult, I would say, nowadays, especially with, like, phones, but computers and, you know, web interfaces are a little bit easier to, to, to find those kinds of things. What's an example from, like, a web interface? Like, where is... Because I'm trying to wrap my I'm head around. I'm trying to think of one. I can sort of, I mean, I think I understand in theory what you're talking about, but I hadn't really given it thought before. And now perhaps it's because everything looks so damn seamless to me. I'm trying to think of where these things right, are. Right, right. I would say a lot of uh, old websites, for instance, mm-hmm. or, or again, like with internet art, a lot of pieces um, sort of work to reveal or subvert the seamlessness of our everyday experiences online. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's what, like, glitch and all that? I mean, that's right. sort of what people were doing with those types of things. And mm-hmm. it's funny that that seems old hat at this point. Yeah. Like, that was not really that long ago that people started <laughs> to discover that.
where lies the strangling fruit that came from the hand of the sinner I shall bring forth the seeds of the dead to share with the worms that gather in the darkness and surround the world with the power of their lives while from the dim lit halls of other places forms that never were and never could be rife for the impatience of the few who never saw what could have been. In the black water with the sun shining at midnight, those fruits shall come ripe and in the darkness of that witch's golden shall split open to reveal the revelation of the fatal softness. So I read an interview that you did a couple years ago with the Ace Hotel and this one thing that you said in it really has stuck with me the mm -hmm. last couple weeks while I was like reading and preparing for this and it had this poetic ennui and it was that all images have to admit to an eventual amphibian crawl onto the web. <laughs> and I was curious what constitutes an image in that sense. So is it anything that we take with a device that's sort of networked and designed to do that? Or like what, what did you mean by images at large in that sense? Like anything that someone captures just right. has to be like, well, that's where it's going to go if you want to keep it. Right. I think I was thinking a lot about... Because um, this is... And also for context, this is like two years ago. I so know. So it's a different... <laughs> yeah. So for anybody listening, this is like 2015. So it's also... Mm -hmm. It's a different... Uh, it's a different conversation slightly, but still kind of the same thing. I mean, it's I'm... Still definitely relevant. Yeah. I think that I would say image circulation nowadays is like vastly... I mean, we as image viewers are like massively privileged in the sense that we are encountering images all the time. We all feel like experts on images for some reason. But I think that that particular quote, I was thinking a lot about uh, exhibition imagery mm -hmm. um, and the sort of slow progression of like gallery and exhibition context from the IRL experience of viewing, you know, pieces in situ versus viewing them online yeah um and being in portland too i would look at a lot of exhibition uh sort of photographs remotely right remotely yeah mm -hmm. i think that was my experience there too because there's certainly there are spaces and there are people doing things but for the most part the larger stuff that's part of the the conversation across the country you kind of have to access through the screen exactly and i could see that in students work I think really clearly, like mm -hmm. right around, I want to say like 2012, 2013, like contemporary art daily, like jogging, like mm -hmm. all of those kinds of it, this. And the influence that that sort of bore on even students' work and like sure. the mode of production. Yeah, yeah, because their work would fall apart. <laughs> it was like very, but that wasn't the, that wasn't the purpose that they were aiming for, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it seemed like the image was the work. Mm -hmm. and, and the fluorescent and all of that yeah yeah and, and blowing it up and making sure that it looks it stops you from the scroll mm -hmm. like it's not meant to stop you in a room um, mm -hmm. and it doesn't really matter and maybe it never even has to exist in a room mm -hmm. um, I think that that's something that do you feel like those sort of tropes are getting worse or going away I mean that aesthetic is a little bit it looks very like 2013 to me now but, right but I'm curious it still seems like people are very even painters have become very Aware. Aware of that and how how their palettes have to be able to look on an Instagram thing. Mm -hmm. Or even the mm -hmm. format of their painting. Square is a really popular format right now. Right. <laughs> I was just reading another article also about the made-for-Instagram museum. <laughs> what um, is that? I think the article sort of suggested, um, you know, like Kusama's Infinity Rooms. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The... 
Museum of Ice Cream was another example. I don't know that. Um, it's just kind of like about exhibitions that seem to be made more to photograph mm-hmm. yourself in than, you know, to experience the work itself. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and you, <laughs> like, <laughs> museums do, uh, like, selfie day in the museum. And then they had to, like, it's like a hashtag that, oh. you know, like the Whitney or the Met or the Guggenheim or whatever, they'll do selfie day and you're supposed to go in the museum and take a selfie. And then, you know, kind of back there to, like, outlaw selfie sticks because people were yeah art and, like, breaking things and stuff like that. <laughs> and I was on a plane. I was flying back to Portland, actually. It was when I, was I flying back to Portland? I think I was. It was uh, the first time, or maybe I, no, I just moved here, but I was flying to go home for the holidays or something. But uh, Yoyi Kusama's infinity room was up at Zwerner and mm-hmm. there were people waiting hours, you know, and I think that's going to happen again in about a minute or it right. just went back up. But, yeah. um, there were two young women on the plane sitting in the row in front of me who were just talking. I'd never heard someone talk so at length about a contemporary art show, but neither of them knew who the artist was or really what the gallery was or any other thing. They just knew the address and they went to get, you had to take a selfie in the infinity room. <laughs> and that was like one of the weirdest things to me. Cause I was like, nobody cares about art. Besides no. artists. But the, they had come, not to New York specifically for that purpose, but it was the last thing that they had to do. It was on their list. Yeah, before they flew was to, was to like, stand in line for what they knew was going to be hours. And it was the winter, because, yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> it was winter. I was going home for the holidays, now that I'm thinking about it. And they stood in that corridor in Chelsea of just wind whipping off of the Hudson River for hours <laughs> to go in there. And I went. I had a friend who worked at Zwerner at the time. And I went to it so that I could get the requisite selfie, and he snuck me in. <laughs> he snuck me past the line, oh, which was nice. Clutch. But you're only allowed to be in there for, I swear it was like 45 seconds. No. Oh, yeah. You had enough time to, it was, they had it time to like, you could get three angles. That's about it. And then boom, then you were out. And so wow. boot you out of there. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple months back, uh, you let me come by your studio, and we were chatting about your video work. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about sourcing all these images, and I have two questions about your process with that. And one is just in a really literal sense, what's your surf like mm-hmm. as you're going through? And then the second part of that is maybe a, a little bit of a follow-up. You have said to me a few times that none of those choices are arbitrary. Like Nothing that you put in is just simply because... You thought it, like, you know... Looked nice. Yeah, this looks cool or something like Mm -hmm. that. But they're really specific choices, but Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how do you arrive at those, and where do you start? Like, So now I think my search history, because YouTube kind of works as an algorithm based on what you've Mm -hmm. seen before and after. I'm mortified (laughs) to open a show. (laughs) To show someone your YouTube, like, landing page, all the things that it suggests for you, it's kind of embarrassing. So that's been really helpful for me because it'll just open up and be like, oh, here are a bunch of videos of factory workers in Sri Lanka or whatever else I had been, like, kind of, like, deeply researching the time before. This is, like, that first step in your friend coming over and recommending product, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> the platform. Yeah. Um, it's funny also because when people, like, ask what I've been, like, what music videos or any kind of other content I'm interested in, I feel like my... F- initial reaction is always like oh I don't really watch YouTube videos and then I remember like no that's 
you watch a ton of YouTube videos. Do you feel all like the time? I just sort of like separate the two categorically somehow. Yeah. What are the two categories? Is one the kind of the way that people are using uh, YouTube in its original function, which is sort of like Web 2.0, like user generated yeah, content, watching versus tutorials or something like that, like on purpose to like learn from them. Uh-huh. And I'm watching tutorials to like gather a bunch of videos of like younger like people who are younger than me telling me how to <laughs> do things uh-huh. to learn or because you're going to repurpose those to things. to repurpose, to them. repurpose yeah, them yeah yeah to like garner some sort of nugget of you know ephemerality of this age group's um interest or earnesty yeah can you walk through let's say an example of a video piece that you've done and just sort of where did you start? I know you're not going to remember every <laughs> fucking step of it. But because, I, I mean, I get really interested in these things because I find myself trying to find something as arbitrary as uh, I would like to find a background instrumental to put, let's say, at the beginning of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'll have something in mind, and then I, I really do go down this. I'm trying to find something that I'm going to use 40 seconds of. Yeah. And it takes me... I'm not joking. Like, uh, it'll be two hours later. And I'll have downloaded a ton of shit, but not even gotten to <laughs> Not the use thing. it. And then you're just yeah. taking up all this space. Yeah, I have. I know the just, feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe what's a, what's a piece, uh, a somewhat recent piece, and what was some of that process? Like, where did you start and what did it end up being? Um, so sometimes I have video footage that I've taken myself, and I know that I want to use that footage to evoke a certain emotion or feeling in someone while watching it and that might change during the editing process of course but um so I'll sometimes I'll start say with with original footage mm-hmm. um and then I will think about a mood um I'll have like a few different tracks maybe some originally recorded and then some uh just sourced like remixes of songs and things mm-hmm. um and those will I'll be on kind of in the project um, and then sometimes the sound will sort of direct the the beat um, and the cuts of the video. Are you compo- so you're composing some of the music too? Some of it, okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. Again, I would say that I'm thinking a lot about the feeling that I want the video to evoke. So even if that's like impatience, mm-hmm. <laughs> or <laughs> you know, just sort of like. Um, a sense of frustration or like make, making someone feel like they're at the edge of their seat or boredom. I think those can all be like very useful emotions too. Um, so say if I'm, I'm trying to evoke a sense of, of impatience, you might like use a lot of the same shot repeatedly in a way mm-hmm. that like ordinary media wouldn't mm-hmm. because I feel that we have all of these expectations of video as a medium. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when those aren't fulfilled, like, people get a little bit antsy. Sure, yeah. <laughs> or something. And I think, again, with, um, you know, applications like Snapchat and Instagram and stuff like that, we're growing more and more accustomed to e- yet more new forms of of moving images yeah um we'll expect a, a, a payoff really quickly right 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 yeah. i had a teen this morning ask me if i knew what, do you know what vine is uh, was <laughs> was like, yes i know what vine was <laughs> like, I'm not that old, but come on like yeah yeah <laughs> so again yeah just sort of playing with what the viewer's expectations and the the sort of emotion you want 
Do you um, feel like you have a go-to length? For... For videos, do you kind of stay in a pocket? I wish I or did. Or do you sort of... I would say under 10 minutes. Uh-huh. As yeah. like a pocket. And do you expect as... And I'm interested because I talked to uh, Alex Perlstein mm-hmm. last week, who a, does a lot of video stuff. And um, I was kind of trying to tease out whether... And I don't know if I really even asked this correctly, but whether as an artist who makes videos, if she was expecting that somebody would sit through the whole thing or kind of come in during a different window or something like that. And I believe that what she said was she was like fine with, you know, a video being eight minutes long and somebody coming in at minute five. Exactly. Watching two minutes and leaving. And that that was part of the important thing about video was your your ability to navigate Mm -hmm. a space as opposed to performance. And not that your videos are performative, but. Right, right. But I'm curious if you, like best case scenario, are you okay with people just kind of popping in in the middle, seeing something, leaving? Or are you like, I really wish people would just sit down and put, (laughs) put the damn headphones on or something like that? I would say that I'm okay with people entering and exiting the space, but I also like to reward people for staying the entire duration. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes, you know, the video that I make might seem like incredibly random and frustrating until the very end where, you know, a lot of the emotional output sort of comes together. Sure, yeah. And you experiment with display methods, right? Right. You don't stick to, it's not always on a screen of this dimension or something. You have played with weird projection stuff, right. if I'm correct. And, yes. And you'll do things that are really little or things that are big, bounce <laughs> them or things like <laughs> Totally. I think more recently I've been playing with um, using like two-sided mirrors uh-huh. um, so that... Wait, like at the cop station? Yeah. What is... Okay. So overlaying um, like a television screen or just basic LCD screen with um, two-sided acrylic mirroring. Um, So the backlight of the television will show through and you're watching any portion of the video. But in a completely dark room, at any point that you turn the video off or the screen goes black, the Mm -hmm. viewer just encounters themselves. Whoa. So I've been playing a lot with that and sort of trying to capture people in the middle of a reaction to a piece of content they just saw. Because everybody has that moment of like, wow, I looked really dumb when I accidentally (laughs) turned my camera on. (laughs) 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 Or like nobody really likes to like see their face watching Netflix like. No, when you catch, yeah. But I'm playing a lot with um, that sort of reactionary space and that uncanny space, um, sort of trying to decide at what moment is it most interesting to encounter yourself Mm -hmm. viewing a piece of content. So does the practical way that uh, a two-way mirror functions is that uh, it's only if light is passing through it that you can see the the one side is right. that why in a so in a police drama the light's always on in the interrogation room and it's really dim mm-hmm. on the other side that's why okay yeah. that's not just like a cinematic aesthetic that's an actual <laughs> functional aspect so they can see. of that technology <laughs> okay no that makes sense I did not know that I just always thought it looked cooler if they were in the dark <laughs> kind of that's why they're all standing in there but <laughs> um do you have... Uh, I'm curious if you have an opinion on the television series Black Mirror. Um, so I've only seen a few episodes, maybe two or three. What's your gut reaction? Um, <laughs> I think it's a little... 
I, I think it's a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> I will say I yeah. have trouble watching TV in general, uh-huh. but I also am I like hyper <laughs> anxious about technology already, obviously, and hyper anxious in general about uh, TV media. Yeah. Like I watched Stranger Things like all the way through, and I was like having a lot of trouble that <laughs> week. <laughs> I can't watch anything like remotely scary uh-huh. and I always avoided Black Mirror because I thought it was like this horrible show and then people were like no I think you'd be really into it it was recommended to me so oh, many I'm times sure. I, before I watched it's it it's like I was asking because it's <laughs> uh, I think when it first came out I'm not trying to be like their early records were better but I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think when it first came out there was kind of a like a woeness to it just mm-hmm. because there hadn't people there hadn't been a show that engaged with these things right yet. or that that seemed so much like oh creepy weird that is probably gonna have this or that or something like that but by like you know by the ninth time that it's like who's con- is, are you controlling your device or should you device put a piece control- of tape over your it's webcam just, I, it gets, i'm just gonna say you're not like missing too much so i, I wouldn't i wouldn't worry it's pretty heavy-handed too mm-hmm. there's not a lot of nuance on the show <laughs> very little nuance uh, to, to be quite frank especially in the most recent season but i like how many seasons are there i believe there are i want to say three somebody's gonna i'm gonna be wrong and somebody's gonna get mad and i'm gonna get a tweet about this but <laughs> i think there were i think there was like a a really short BBC season that was like three episodes. Then there was like some special Christmas episode at some point. And then I think there were like three more on the BBC and then Netflix bought it and oh. put out like six or something. But they got pretty like just, oh my God. Like it's very, um, the like what's going to happen is so incredibly obvious from the second that you understand the technology that the people are using <laughs> that it's, kind of, it's a little disappointing there's not a lot of left turns that happen during it I think it just goes a little bit too far I mean in the few episodes that I watched I was like on board until I wasn't yeah do you remember what ones you saw um <laughs> I watched the one where the woman is obsessed with getting a lot of likes oh, yeah. um, because it's required as a form as of you, social currency. As you get in, yeah, as you meet people and they can rate you. It's like yeah. everyone is an Uber driver, basically. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. spoiler alert. But I was on board for that one until she's, like, in jail. And, like, yeah. I'm just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is like, she trying to go to a wedding? Yeah. Wait, is that the right one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, it's, it's like they're it just, all like, like takes that. takes a weird turn that mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Yeah. This is too much. It usually just ends up in a place where you're like, that was the annoying place that I thought maybe this would end up, but I would think a writer would never do it because it right. would get thrown out of the writer's room. <laughs> People would be like, no, we're not doing that. But it's just amazing that they're like, cut. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it. Print. I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe we're like privileged tech people who are just sort of like already cynical about this and maybe this, maybe yeah. it blows my parents' minds. I don't know. Maybe they're just like, holy fuck me. Like, you know? what but, if? Yeah. But I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. That's sort of, you know. Uh, Jesus. Did you, uh, what did you think about Barb on Stranger Things? I tweet about Barb on Stranger Things a oh. lot. She was a very divisive character. She kind of was, right? <laughs> you tweet about her <laughs> Just still? Like, well, I like, you know, I think maybe like Hillary should run again in 2020 with Barb as a running mate. <laughs> and like just, you know, some things to connect with a younger base. But I think a lot of people hated Barb. And I actually had no opinion until I, I, found, until I found out that people were upset about Barb or thought that she was a bad character. She was just a foil. <laughs> right? I so. I don't know. <laughs> she was just like an excuse to have a best friend who like disappeared or something. Right. But 
Yeah, I'm. I'm really trying to get. Uh, trying to get an online campaign to bring Barb back, but I she could. It could work. It might. I mean, the new season. season I think two. it drops on. It drops <laughs> next Friday. <laughs> it drops a week from tomorrow. Oh, We're good. recording this on a Thursday. It'll come out right so. in time for Halloween. Yes, uh, and that is some native content. If Netflix is listening, so uh, <laughs> I've mentioned two of your shows now <laughs> on this podcast, and would be happy to accept some cash from you at any time. Hi, everyone. Staff only here. I just want to point out that this is an actual Hungry Howie's commercial that aired in March of 2016. It's March, baby. Time for the stars to take over. And no stars bigger than pizza. Here's how we do. We're like new money. Rolling in that fresh dough. And we flossing. We saucing. We are straight up bossing. You got any cheese? Of course we do. Making that 100% real mozz friend. Taking that flavor straight to the edge. Toppings on toppings on toppings. Drop them like they're hot. Drop them like they're hot. Wham, bam. Thank you, ham. We're getting fired up. Slicing and dicing, and it looks so enticing. There you go. And here we go to the How Man for his thoughts. Howie, what's up? They're usually made out of like, uh, they're usually wool. This one's a little lighter than the other ones, but the wool hats are really nice. I like those a lot. Um, So what is the project that you have coming up with Avon Franco? So the project is um, as yet untitled, but what we're doing currently is we have a call out. It's open now on their website. Okay. Um, And they're looking for essentially submissions of people's photographs and videos from their cellular devices. Mm -hmm. Um, They're looking for, I think, like the past three years at least, but they would like it to go back as far as maybe 10 years. Okay. Um, Any particular type of videos or photos? or Just all of them. All of them. I think the application process requires you to submit a folder selection of um, 100 photos. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) So we'll be going through all of the submissions and sort of reviewing the smaller selection of photos and videos um, to select one person to profile. Um, The piece will essentially be a portrait of this person as seen through their uh huh. <laughs> and is that was there is their website avonfrancomaz dot com dot org dot org? Yeah, they're an organization. <laughs> That's cool. That's I guess. Or I think it's actually their. Okay, this is going to be really complicated. But it's like one zero one one zero. Oh right. One zero, so just one zero. maybe Google them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Go back>. um, <laughs> but yeah, so so this is sort of like the initial phase of the project. Um, we're just looking for submissions right now, um, and I am helping with the selection process, so mm-hmm. I'll get to look at a lot of nudes, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> Will that help or hinder someone's chances of being considered? Or we're not sure what we're looking okay. for yet. Um, I think that, in part, the project is looking to engage in a little bit of what we were talking about before, is our constant sort of engagement with images Mm -hmm. um, and the hyper impulse to photograph everything we experience and the uh, necessity of getting like the perfect shot Mm -hmm. like the frame that you expose to 
everyone on your social media feed versus the frame that just sits in your cloud yeah yeah <laughs> forever and you might have like five iterations or more of the mm -hmm. same image so i think we're looking a little bit for that sense of repetition and yeah. finality right not like not your greatest hits but like an authentic kind right. of an authentic suite of things that god that sounds so mortifying just i know <laughs> <laughs> i mean how many photos do you have on your photo roll uh is it enough that every two seconds my phone tells me my phone is full like so almost ten thousand. i don't probably a lot <laughs> i would I, whatever like the most that you can have <laughs> on like the i don't know i think my phone has like 16 gigs it's like mm -hmm. that or something but i have no idea but it's just like what fuck can i delete them <laughs> they're not, stored somewhere I'm never going to look at them they're photo, I mean I've had that phone for like two or three years right, like, I'm right. never going to look at a it's very different from when we had just like the plastic sleeve family album yeah yeah I was asking my uh, uh, a friend who actually Avon Franco did a show at Essex Flowers a little while ago right Right. so Justin Berry who's one of the flowers one of the Essex Flowers folks I went to meet his baby uh, mm -hmm. He and his wife, Rebecca, had a little thing at the park. And he kept shooting photos of his daughter. And he had this camera, and he's taking pictures of her and all these things like that. And, and I asked him, you know, how, how are you going to... How will you evidence these to her when she's older? Mm -hmm. Like, what form... I mean, do you give her a jump drive? Like, <laughs> what do, you, do you subscribe her to a cloud? Are you going to print some of them and if make an make album? If you make a Facebook for her, that's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> what is that thing that they tell you to like uh, create an email address for your child and then you know, know email them this and then on their 18th birthday give Hashtag them the password her. it's also like could you imagine like getting uh, your parents give you the password to an email account on a platform that was created 18 years ago like if right if now parents, that would be what like, like, <laughs> like not even AOL like Earthlink or something <laughs> or like GeoCities but um, yeah I, I w I've been wondering about that too like how do you give how do you transfer that stuff to a kid? Access and, and your entire there, past. And will there be any? <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm just sounding like uh, an old person right now. But I mean, when I go home at the holidays, I always grab one of the old albums and like mm -hmm. sit down and flip through it. Of and course. there's like a there's it's that texture, mm -hmm. it's that tactility to the thing, and that object feels special because it is the only place where I mean, granted, even if there are only like twenty photos, yeah. And they could be, you know, of course one could scan them or something, but there's something about that, that one print that came. The stickiness yeah, of turning yeah. the pages. Yeah, and they get all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's cool. When should people submit to this project by? October 30th right now, but okay. we may extend the deadline. We're not totally sure yet because we aren't sure what to expect, honestly. We may yeah. be flooded with submissions or we may get 10 people yeah, that yeah. are really weird. I'll put, uh, <laughs> I will put in the description for this episode, I'll put a link to their site so that people would be can great. go and check that out. Um, and you've, you've worked with them for a while. Yes, yeah. almost, I guess it'll be a year in December. That's weird. But one thing that's like, I'm totally forgetting to mention, it pays. <laughs> It's a thousand dollars for oh, cool. your photos and videos. It's not free. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's it's like <laughs> give us all of your content. That's really funny. That's um, sorry, Evan Franco. That's like an amount of money that like you can't get mad about because it's not really low. <laughs> but it's also like I just immediately was like, well, if I give them a hundred, that's like 
that's ten dollars. Wait, no. That's oh right. Ten dollars a photo. Right. Or something for a thousand. And then I'm like doing the math. And I'm like, well, how much would I want for someone to look through my phone? I mean, granted, these people are getting to choose what they put up. Like, yeah. It's, you're not. <laughs> you're not give us your iCloud password. <laughs> it's, it's still a self-curated. Oh no, 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 no. Actually, no. No. Wait. The point is that they're paying you a thousand dollars for your unedited photo library. Oh, so you're putting up a sampling. Right. And then and they... then we're considering from the sampling which person to select. And then they will go through your whole library. Yes. Oh wow. So and none is... of the pictures will be removed. Right. Okay. <laughs> so this is for the super exhibitionist. Yes. I imagine there are some people who would probably get a kick out of doing that actually. Definitely. Yeah. I see them on Facebook every day. <laughs> 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 That's cool. I didn't know about this show called Machine and the Ghost that you were part of. That was in Florida. Oh, yeah. That was using one of those automatic uh, artist statement generators. Right. And so, am, am I correct? Is my, my understanding is that the exhibition was the curator had like five or six artists do one of those. With like, And you check off a couple boxes of things that you're about or where you're from or something mm-hmm. like that. And then it spits out the this kind of like statement. international art English like... annoying kind of artist statement right and then you made work based on that based on that well i think that he generated so the curator danny olda had generated like several different ones and then prescribed each of us with one of the randomly generated artist statements to respond to as if we were that artist okay so it was really strange yeah i didn't even fill it out but sometimes they're like eerily accurate yeah so had i done my own i might have just been able to make my work as I normally would. <laughs> yeah, I read a thing about it, and I read there was one sentence in the one that you were assigned to something that said like I've always been interested in the zeitgeist. It was just <laughs> like, oh, that's such an annoying thing that someone would say. It's yeah. just like you're interested in con- like the context of when you're alive. <laughs> Congratulations. I <laughs> hope be, you are interested in the zeitgeist. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's definitely like one of the things on my mind a lot. It's just sort of just like, like the culture. time we're yeah, in, culture, and like what is happening, <laughs> and like where people's minds are at. It's pretty, <laughs> it definitely informs what I do, like, <laughs> as it should. <laughs> what did you make for that though? How did you? Was it frustrating or was it kind of fun? It was a little weird. I think I was I was definitely taken aback. I made a very strange video. Uh-huh. I remember having the video. <laughs> I remember having a video clip in that show that was just someone's feet in mud, like, squishing around. Getting back to the dirt. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good callback. <laughs> Wait, was that in, that was in Tampa? Yeah. And you grew up in Florida? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where in Florida? In Tampa. In Tampa. Yeah. Okay, what's Tampa about? I've never been there. It's really strange. Where is it on the uh, Florida Peninsula? I would say it's like central Florida okay. on the Gulf side, um, about an hour south of Orlando. Okay. Yeah. You have to like put it in the context for people who've never been because everybody knows Disney World. Yeah. Is that in Orlando? Yes. Okay. <laughs> You've never been to Florida? I've been to Florida. Okay. Yes. I've been to... Um, <laughs> Come on, I've been to Art Basel, Miami. Oh, um, no. of course. I've been to, I went to Orlando before. Mm-hmm. Um, I was dating someone at the time whose uh, sister was remarrying her ex-husband on a cruise ship. And the cruise, uh, we flew into Orlando. And the cruise <laughs> left from somewhere near there. But Great. that's when I went to Orlando. Uh, but yeah, I've been to, I went when I was a kid too to Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But Florida is kind of its own country, it seems like. I would agree, yeah. The panhandle is entirely different than, like, central Florida versus south Florida. It's a pretty wild place, right? Yes, I think that it just has all of its own sort of wild divisions. Mm -hmm. And I think that because it is a peninsula and the only one in the States, there's just something going on with the water. There's <laughs> there's a lot of different influences that take place. There's another peninsula, Michigan. Min- <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm from. We're oh, really? Yes. But it's a, n- a much smaller peninsula. <laughs> okay. That's fair. <laughs> um, wait, but you moved to Florida. Um. Yes. Yeah. Okay. From and Manila. From Manila in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And then how long were you in Florida? Through high school? Yes. And then you came to New York? Yes. No, no, no. So I was in Florida through undergrad, and then I came to New York for um, an internship oh. at the Wasaic Project. Oh, yeah. I've been up there. I love it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Daniel, one of uh, one of my buddies who was on a podcast a little while ago, he, he did a Wasaic Project thing. We were nice. talking about his studios in a goat barn. That's amazing. Which is pretty cool. Only were you making there. work up there or just interning? I was interning for, I was on the programming side, so okay. I was in Brooklyn. Cool. Oh, you were, okay. I was nice. based here, yeah. Right on. With Eve? Mm-hmm. Nice. I know Eve. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and then, so you went to school in Portland, and then you came back to New York. Exactly. Hi, everyone. Staff only here. I just want to point out that this is also an actual Hungry Howie's commercial that aired in March of 2016. It's March, and if we're going dancing, we're doing some snacking. Let's get to it. This is how we're doing. Oh, they're heating up. Watch out, you don't get burned. Because these wings are straight fire. No bones about it. These are a game changer. Time to send it over to my wingman, Howie. Howie, what's on your mind? So recently, you co-founded a gallery. Right. Housing. Housing. In Bed-Stuy. Mm-hmm. In Brooklyn. And what's housing? I mean, I know what it is, but for somebody listening who doesn't know. If they haven't heard. Housing is a 600-foot um, or so art space located in Bed-Stuy off on about Gates and Nostrand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been open for about a month now, um, and we are programmed through January. Um, it's an art space dedicated to artists and creative practitioners of color. And it's in the space that was formerly occupied by American Medium before they moved to Chelsea, correct? Correct. And the first show, so this will come out on Sunday night, and this coming weekend is the last weekend to see Untitled Passage, which right. is the group exhibition that's up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the summer, there was a sort of like a pop-up intro show, uh, DOE, mm-hmm. is that right? Yes, yeah, and that featured Cheyenne, Julian, and Kevin Evans. Yeah, yeah, I love Kevin. Mm-hmm. Kevin's great. Um, okay, so that two-person show, and then uh, can you talk a little bit about Untitled Passage and sort of uh, the artists who are in it and how you sort of brought that group together as this kind of debut for the space. Yeah, totally. So Untitled Passage was um, curated by myself and um, KJ Freeman. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a five-person show. It involves a lot of young artists, um, including like Junsio Apara, um, 
cauliflowers, um, pastiche, who's been on the podcast yeah, before. Yeah, pastiche. <laughs> um, as well as Brandon Drew Holmes and um, Kari Johnson-Ricks, cool. who's a Hunter MFA student. Right on. Mm-hmm. Um, and was there a specific theme that kind of went into the design of the exhibition or was it kind of more representative of the type of artists that you want to work with? I think the latter. Um, A lot of the themes kind of came about as we were installing. I think we noticed a lot of um, complementary color usage um, and a lot of honestly similar uh, topics of engagement Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of the artists' work. Yeah. Do you feel like it's sort of setting a tone for the kind of work that you want to bring into the space and the conversations that y'all are hoping to engender through the programming? Yes, definitely. Yeah. We wanted to open with that kind of statement, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, I think that one thing that's really interesting about working on housing is that we're able to engage with a lot of topics that al- other galleries may not touch, and mm-hmm. we're able to show artists who may or may not be willing to show with other galleries Mm -hmm. or have felt alienated in those spaces. Sure, yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of the language on, and for anybody who hasn't been to the website before, I said in the uh, intro, but again, it's Mm housing-art.info is the URL, correct? Um, There's a I, I wouldn't call it like a it's not a manifesto, but there's like mm-hmm. a but there's but there's a clear mission described right. on it and, and what the gallery's about and I didn't even think about that until I read the site that other galleries don't even have that at all have for the most uh, part any kind of thing that contextualizes what they're aiming to do mm-hmm. it's just like this is the gallery here's exhibitions, the work. and the about is just like it's just it's ours and and maybe the people who run it yeah but and it the doesn't contact information but it doesn't present any kind of sort of social or political position mm-hmm. um, which is kind of funny I guess and until I saw that I don't know why that didn't occur to me that that was strange that other galleries don't even kind of do that mm-hmm. um, so I don't know, how, how did you develop that language um, I think I, it's in part because of my own experience in the art world and in part because of my love for the neighborhood you know I live upstairs um, and, I, and when I lived in New York a few years prior to moving to Portland I also lived in the same neighborhood, and mm-hmm. between moving there and moving back, I already noticed, you know, obvious, obviously the rapid shifts in mm-hmm. the space that I was encountering. Um, but as far as um, having a little bit of a, a social statement or a political bent with the space, I would say that we don't want to be didactic in any form we're sort of opening space for dialogue of any sort um, because we feel that contemporary art has always been better at exposing the sort of contradictions and quiet violences in society than it has been at like solving them sure (laughs) well that's isn't that what they always say in school too is it's not your job to solve the problem (laughs) just shine a light on it like totally but it seems like uh, yeah that's a bit of a cop out right because you could lead by example and exactly. produce something and actively change stuff mm-hmm. as opposed to just saying, well, what if we, what if I made an anti-gentrification painting? <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that's a nice sentiment, but like... Um, this painting says, stop gentrifying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> God, come on. <laughs> um, 
how totally. did you how did you feel about and you can tell me to fuck off you know when I this, <laughs> how did you feel about in the in some of the early coverage I think we talked about this really briefly but it was sort of saying that like housing is aiming to degentrify this space that was previously occupied by American medium and I don't know if that was something that y'all specifically uh, said those words or if it was turned to like Ooh, we're gonna make this like this is sort of a sensational way to get people to click yeah. or something I mean it certainly is like it's not salacious, but it's definitely like a, hmm, are they going to say something about American medium? But it's like, y'all have a good relationship. With exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? Exactly. Like yeah. <laughs> it seemed it seemed a little bit definitely sensationalized. Um, Even and there's no way to really, like, de-gentrify a neighborhood right. that is obviously in the process of right. gentrification. But I think that they used that angle sort of to note that, you know, a gallery dedicated to artists of color was opening in a space that was formerly not. Sure, yeah. And most galleries aren't. <laughs> no, and most galleries aren't run by black women. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, I was just curious because it was sort of a funny, like, I was like, I know the sentiment that these articles are trying to, but they're also they're articles that require, like, ad revenue and clicks. And <laughs> exactly. It's a little weird. I mean, <laughs> I know, you know, whatever. But I was just... Curious. I think that definitely the, the mode of thinking there was just a little bit off. <laughs> but I do, I do appreciate, too, that on the website, one of the things is kind of like, while you state a really firm position, it doesn't... Uh, it seems generative in a sense where it's like, hey, if you've never been to Bedford-Stuyvesant before, go to these businesses. Yes. Like, support these things in the neighborhood that have been around for a long time. Familiarize yourself with the area. Don't just come and stand out front and smoke cigarettes and throw <laughs> cigarette butts on the ground, right? I mean, <laughs> exactly. That, that's, no, I, seriously. <coughs> that's been my experience at a lot of spaces and neighborhoods that are rapidly gentrifying is like, it's kind of embarrassing, right, to stand in front of the space when there's like a bunch of people like and there's like drink- a church next door. Yeah, and a bunch of people <laughs> like drinking beer like illegally out on the street, and like people in the neighborhood are walking by and just kind of like, God, we look like assholes right now. <laughs> and you kind of want to tell everybody like, <laughs> like, just stop. Well, we don't look. Everyone's being an asshole. That's yeah, what's going on. And yeah. like, it seems though like, and not that that can be permanently solved. Just like you said, you can't degentrify a neighborhood. But at the same time, I feel like the the way that the space is presenting itself is very interesting. In that it it claims a position, but at the same time, it sort of says, "So, but you're welcome here, right? But, you know, do some, you know, be like a good citizen, Na- be, be like a good a, neighbor, yeah, yeah. Be a good neighbor. <laughs> literally, yeah, just seriously, be, be a good neighbor I or a good <laughs> visitor while you're in the neighborhood, <laughs> like." I think on our, like, opening day, one of our neighbors, like, came by, um, and he was just, like, sweeping the sidewalk, and he was like, oh, you're the new owner here, and I was like, yeah, and he was like, can you just please, like, I do this twice a week, it's all it takes, just, like, sweep this area in front. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I was yeah. like, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's just, um, like... <laughs> no, I'm sure. So simple. Um, what are... So this is something interesting, too, is this kind of this space and neighborhood that I feel like probably versus a lot of other spaces that open up in, let's say, Chinatown or Ridgewood or wherever else people are. Like LES. Yeah. Yeah. Where people are popping these spaces up or something. Um, It seems like y'all are thinking about how you like being good neighbors and inviting people to making people feel like it's a place that they can come into. Right. Which is something that galleries don't do. I think that art spaces are certainly implicated in the problem of gentrification. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree it's, it's with you, Amy. Re- <laughs> but it's like often <laughs> regarded as like the first step or yeah, like no, the of marker, it is. and it's a and it's a because it's what where you can afford 
to yeah. open spaces and mm-hmm. studios. Yeah. Um, what kind of stuff do you all hope to do over the next uh, few years that to kind of get people in the neighborhood to know that it's not just this, you know, it's not a place that you have to be weird about coming into, that it's a... Yeah, yeah, totally. I know that we are interested in hosting, you know, artist workshops for kids in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We have, like, the backyard area, too, which is really great to be able to open up to them. We're interested in hosting um, live drawing classes for people in the neighborhood, Um, uh, zine release parties, like, all the just different kinds of events that um, open up the space to more than just art openings. Yeah, yeah. And things that, uh, like, subvert, I mentioned this on the last podcast, too, but, like, uh, what my friend Nicole Reber has called the event economy, mm-hmm. which is where it's literally just to get more people out to have eyeballs on the work, as opposed to it sounds like what you're describing is, like, these are community events that are, like, this space These people is might not really care about the work. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, do they need to? It's like, no. that's the, well, that's one of the wonderful things about New York is it's, like, if you give people a space and some agency, people will take it, and mm-hmm. they love it, and it's great. Yeah. And it's cool because it's so expensive to do anything here. So if you're a teen in the neighborhood and there's, like, an art gallery that's run by these two women that you sort of like see yourself reflected in and you can come by and hang out during times. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Even during um, just like off hours, you know, days that were totally not open at all. We would love to have people come work in the space. Yeah. If people have, if anybody who's listening has like resources or time or anything like that, that they can contribute or ideas to help out. Or if they know people that maybe y'all should be in conversation with who might be able to bring stuff how would they what's the best way for somebody to reach out if they um so they can just email us at info at housing-art.info or reach out on instagram we're at like h underscore housing (laughs) bk um yeah dms are great too a lot of people have reached out that way yeah that sounds uh that sounds really great so what what else is uh i know y'all have your program through January, right? Right. So next show is Black Dog, mm-hmm. and that opens Friday the twenty eighth. Saturday. Saturday the twenty eighth. God, I'm getting my dates wrong. Right. I probably said Friday in the introduction <laughs> to this too. And if I did, I apologize. <laughs> it opens Saturday, October twenty eighth, um, and this is another group exhibition. Mm-hmm. And is it a continuation of Untitled Passage, or just like totally totally different vibe? Different vibe. Yeah, different artists, different vibe. Um, I'm really excited to see this one come together. I think it'll be a lot of um, flat works, you know, drawings, uh, pastels. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're showing Brie Williams, who's based in uh, California, um, Hamishi Farah, Parker Bright. Parker's great. Yeah, and yeah. then Isis Swabi and um, Sean Kier Lyons. Cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've seen Isis play before. She's great. Cool. And I got to, I got to help Parker hang a piece in a show once. This like crazy cool I don't know it's like this leather uh, KJ put the show together actually oh, but it, nice. was, it was this like black leather splash that was hung up with punk studs and had like this black metal guy on it it, oh. was, like, it was really <laughs> brutal beautiful <laughs> it was a great piece and uh, yeah Parker's, Parker's a gem that's really cool and then some solo shows are coming up too right mm-hmm. so we're showing Rafia nice. um, we're showing Kiwan Thomas I think actually before Rafia in November. Okay. And um, then is Rafia in December? December. And then American Artists in January. Wow, cool. Yeah. And then other stuff is kind of under the under wrap. Keep it's it in the works. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I would encourage people to follow on Instagram and keep an eye on that stuff because 
that's a pretty killer lineup so far. Already. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much for coming by and talking about your work and, and housing. And I'm excited for the venture and to see more of your work. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Aileen. Thank you.